Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together. We have some great people helping us along the way. Deep breaths, everyone. So before we launch into the absolutely necessary topic for today, we're going to be talking about how to talk to kids about anti-Asian violence and racism. I wanted to tell you some really great news. My next book, currently entitled How to Talk to Kids About Anything, I wonder where I got that from, will be published by Sourcebooks in 2022. The contract has been signed and I am writing, 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 highlighting the tips, scripts, stories, and steps that will make even the toughest conversations easier from death and divorce to sex, tech, porn, drugs, failure, racism, and more. And my hope is that this book will be a staple on every parent's, coach's, and teacher's bookcase to pull out when conversations are necessary, but words escape us. I'm so honored to be writing this book for you and so privileged to have such amazing experts on the show who are sources for this forthcoming book and, of course, sources for this fabulous podcast. Experts like the one we're having on the show today, so let's get to it. Racism towards Asian Americans is nothing new. However, when the pandemic hit and surges of the COVID virus washed over the world from east to west, Racism and aggression towards Asian Americans grew with it. The recent shooting of eight people in Atlanta, including six Asian women, is a testament to that. This surge of anti-Asian violence has brought with it the highlighted need for conversation starters, scripts, and tips for how we can discuss racism and empathy, compassion, courage to stand up in solidarity as we meet discrimination towards diverse populations head on. Given that one of our amazing podcast guests and friends of How to Talk to Kids About Anything, Christine Coe, just wrote an article on how to support kids through the latest wave of violence for CNN, I thought that she'd be the perfect person to interview on this topic so that we can provide all of you with what to do and say around this very tough subject. Christine Coe is a music and brain scientist turned multimedia creative. She is a fierce believer in the power of humans, small moments and actions, and vulnerable, authentic storytelling. She communicates on these beliefs through her work as a writer. Her latest work is in the Washington Post and Boston Globe Magazine and CNN. She is the co-author of Minimalist Parenting, which we interviewed her on previously. And she is the founder of the award-winning blog, Boston Mamas, podcaster for Edit Your Life and Hello Relationships, designer for Brave New World Designs, and creative director for Women Online. That woman is busy. You can find her at Dr. Christine Co. on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are so excited to have you. So welcome, Dr. Christine Co. to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. 
Hi, Dr. Silverman. (laughs) I always love talking to you. And um, so I'm just delighted. And I just want to say that I'm deeply grateful that you are tackling this difficult subject because it's it's not easy. And Mm. it's been making many people uncomfortable, but in a really, in some ways, you know, a really good and necessary way. So thank you. I'm I'm so glad you're on the on the line with me today. I think that this is something we have to talk about now. I didn't want to delay and I'm so appreciative that you got right on with me. So before we jump into everything, for those who haven't read your article on this topic, And for those who are really waiting with bated breath to find out more information, can you tell us your personal origin story as it relates to Asian American violence and your personal connection with this tough topic? Yes. Well, thank you for asking. And, you know, it's it's funny because I think the reason this CNN story really um, kind of connected with people is that I started it with a story. I mean, you said in the intro that, you know, authentic, vulnerable storytelling is what I'm about. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is about. And in the piece, I shared a story about when I was seven years old, and I was walking with my mom through a lovely, leafy, affluent Boston suburb, and we were attacked. I, you know, it's funny, Back then, I had not used the language like attacked and violence, but thinking back, that's what it was. Uh, We were just walking along, and I hit something, heard, sorry, I felt something hit me on the back of the head and heard some screaming, and I realized it was a group of teenage boys in a car um, zooming by and screaming um, anti-Asian sentiments, and they had thrown full soda cans at Mm. a mom and a little girl walking Mm. along, minding their own business. And um, it's funny because when people were tweeting about this article and talking about how this was, you know, my first experience with racism, I actually realized, well, actually, no, it wasn't. That was the first violent one. Mm. But, you know, I was, I can remember being as young as six, a first grader and my um, first grade teacher at circle time went around to ask people about their middle names, what they were. Mm-hmm. And when we got to mine, it's Korean, it's Kyung-hun. Um, she started laughing hysterically and kept laughing mm. until all the other kids joined her mm. in laughing at me. And it took me decades to be able to say my middle name proudly again out loud, or just say it out loud mm. and then proudly now. So I think that in hearing those stories, I think all of us know a little seven-year-old or a little six-year-old. And I think Mm -hmm. that's why that opener was really startling to people. It just was like, wow, um, that's pretty ugly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. those are the earliest memories Mm -hmm. that I can recall. I I remember it and I appreciate it. Actually, I I talked about your story at my own dinner table, uh, talking to my kids who are 10 and 12 uh, currently about what happened to you. And and wanted to just hear what they thought about it. And, and it was very shocking for them, mm-hmm. uh, not understanding why something so 
so violent could happen and uh, what would prompt it. And I, it, it made me think that one of the questions I really want to ask you is why this racism has been exacerbated over the years. More than 3,700 anti-Asian incidents have been reported since last March, according mm-hmm. to Stop AAPI, citing everything from verbal harassment and physical assault to civil rights violations and online harassment, where women are reporting 2.3 times as much mm-hmm. as hate of these hate crimes than men, and Chinese people being the largest ethnic group experiencing hate. The Pew Research Center details that about four in 10 Americans say that it is more common for people to express racist views about people who are Asian than before COVID-19, and about three in 10 Asian Americans reporting having, having experienced racial slurs and racist jokes since the beginning of the pandemic. And so while none of us have been living in a bubble, and we've all had to cope with the COVID virus in one way or another over the last year, what do you think exacerbated racially motivated violence towards Asian Americans over the last 12 months or so that so many more people are are talking about it? Yeah, well, I think, you know, at a baseline, there's just sort of basic everyday racism. And when you hear of a, of a situation originating somewhere, you sort of attribute blame. Um, and then, you know, to be quite candid our leadership i'm using air quotes mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know from 2016 to th- 2020 completely exacerbated that situation by you know referring you know using terms like china virus and mm-hmm. kung flu i mean there's that is stoking mm-hmm. the fire in ways Agreed. that that are just right there so i think um you know and i i felt it too i i actually recall now that you we're talking and I was listening to all these stats and sort of feeling both impressed by your collection of stats and also vaguely sick to my stomach. Ugh. I was recalling a an Instagram post I shared back way back at the beginning when people were starting to make masks and think about masks. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I actually called attention to the fact that I was feeling panicky about masks because they sort of and I was panicky, panicky about wearing them before they were sort of mandated because mm. I felt like I was drawing attention to my Asianness, mm-hmm. and that you know I already was feeling like a liability to my children walking mm. around with them, mm. which is a horrible feeling to have. Mm. So, you know, those feelings are real, and the looks I was getting in those early days at the grocery store, I would, mm. I could feel it. Mm. It was not pretty and these are in nice grocery stores you know mm-hmm. so it's it's really been everywhere mm-hmm. and exacerbated by the previous leadership mm-hmm. yes and and that is really sad uh that 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 could be something that happens simply because people in in leadership positions were, were saying and as you said stoking the fire that is really scary that that can happen mm-hmm. now key there are there are there are some key messages that we need to impress upon children. Racism is is up there as one of the most uncomfortable topics to discuss, as you mentioned mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of taboo aura around the subject and a great deal of mistakes that people make. I mean, even 
even as we refer, we're even while we're talking about it, there's there's actually words we don't say. I mean, there's and and mm-hmm. so it's it's almost hard to navigate at times. People make a lot of mistakes around this about discussing it, but also around asking themselves and their kids to kind of put on color neutralizing glasses so that they don't acknowledge color or mm. differences. I mean, that's like we've gone to that other degree at times. So when we're talking about racism and being an ally. What are some key messages that we do want to impress upon our children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, and I know how hard it is to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, your podcast is all about breaking down how to talk about the hard stuff. <laughs> yes. And I know there are so many things that are hard to talk about. I mean, it's funny. I often think about conversations about racism and the difficulty and discomfort parents feel sort of as similar to talking about sex. And yes, sex. <laughs> I, I couldn't and, agree with you more. I literally just wrote the chapter on sex. And then yep. here I am like writing it on racism. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's so much that is similar about these topics related to that taboo feeling. Yes. And what I always want to impress upon parents is that a big piece of this is dialing it back to basic human values Mm. where you're not even really talking about the thing, Mm. right? So for, you know, one thing I talked about in that CNN article that I believe so deeply in Mm. is that Mm. a big piece of this involves teaching kids about empathy Mm -hmm. and looking for those little moments to teach kids that like we're all humans and that we have a lot in common as well as having things that are different than us. And, you know, I don't know if you or, you know, for your readers who have read Isabel Wilkerson's cast, which I recently read and have been telling everybody about. You yeah, know, one I of the saw you recommending it. About, yes. Oh, my gosh, it's incredible. And mm-hmm. one of the things that she talks about is how a key reason that people could do horrible things to other people is when they dehumanize them. Mm-hmm. So the our ability to find human connection and look for those moments of, you know, empathy are such a crucial piece of parenting and raising kids who will have an inclusive lens. Mm -hmm. And there's like looking for some commonalities, right? Like trying to, Mm -hmm. like we're all human and here's some things that we have in common, not just looking at what's different so that, that there's some bridges between people that maybe our kids hadn't seen before. So really asking not just about why somebody might be chosen uh, to be picked on because of racism, because their name, because of how they look, but also what is it about that person that you have in common? What do you share so that we see the humanness? And, and what do you like about that person? What's interesting about that person? Just bridging the gaps. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the conversations about what is different and what's wonderfully different, you know, will come along the way. But the sort of likeness conversation Mm -hmm. is just a way to get to get kids in the door and Mm -hmm. adults who need it, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. um, with really understanding that, you know, there is a common human experience Mm -hmm. and that we all deserve you know, respect and justice and, you know, all of the good things. Mm. And and looking at it as, uh, you know, even on topics that as you said, are, are are not related to racism at all or race, but big feelings like, oh, that ch- that that child looks really upset 
that child mm-hmm. looks angry. That child, you know. So, what do you think is making that child angry or upset? What do you think is making that child feel scared in the situation on a playground, or that has nothing to do with anything? But she fell on the ground and skinned her knee, so mm-hmm. that there is something, uh, and that shared experience, as you mentioned. I think that that really does make some sense there. Now. I know that people are very interested in how to begin these conversations. And I'd venture to say that when parents talk about racism, I, I think especially within the last year, they're often, I, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I think a lot of people are often thinking about the struggles of, of black Americans, the mm-hmm. black experience, because there's so much that has been going on rather than perhaps the Asian and Asian American experience. But racism towards Asian people is real and and it goes back, you know, very far. And and people are being told things like go back to where you came from, insinuating that Asian people are maybe a safety risk or health concern. Um, they're called horrible names. They've been uh, objects of violence. How do would you say we begin the conversations with children about racism and and violence against Asian people and and the empathy you mentioned that diverse populations really deserve as they deal with fear and discrimination so often? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the focus on, um, you know, the racial atrocities towards black people. I mean, it's, it's warranted. And, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned Wilkerson's book cast. And I mean, I, I, one of the things I took away from that book was a real sense of realization about the upper and lower caste systems in America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, black people are in that lower caste Mm -hmm. sort of racial system here, you know, whereas Asian um, Asians are in the middle caste, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a little bit different. There is, um, Mm -hmm. has been, Mm sort of more, I don't know if ability is the right word, but a, an ability to kind of assimilate or an attempt to assimilate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just been different, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think, you know, with talking to kids, I think one of the best things that you can do, I mean, our kids are consuming all manner of media right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They are looking at books, they are looking at shows, they're looking at movies, they're looking at everything. So, you know, the more that you can, I know it sounds sort of everyday sort of pedagogical basic, but the more that you can integrate inclusive, diverse resources Mm -hmm. into your kid's Mm -hmm. library, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. better, Mm -hmm. because they just need to see, you know, humans, different humans that look different than them, Mm -hmm. humans that look the same, just represented in media. Mm -hmm. And, you know, luckily there are, you know, great, the, the resources, keep continue to grow of, um, you know, children's book authors and other things. And Mm -hmm. that's something you have to actively put in front of your kids and seek out. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend to anybody to connect with your local library if you can, because children's librarians are like unicorns. Yes, (laughs) they're the best. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, um, in the classroom, I mean, I would love to see a world where, you know, inclusive literature was a major priority, Mm. but you know, it's, there are so many limitations on what teachers are, you know, they're constrained by curriculum Mm -hmm. and et cetera. So, um, I feel like a lot of times cultural integration becomes a little tokeny. It's like, let's 
talk about mm-hmm. black culture on Martin Luther King Day. That's right. You know, right? it's got to be. Oh, it's more Black than History that. Month. Therefore, yeah, it's just it's got to be more than that, and mm-hmm. it's on parents to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really important, and and I agree with you. And it is a simple way of of just integrating people who look different but are experiencing again the same types of frustrations that everybody else is and sometimes it does actually bring in some of these factors like racism in in different ways and that's a great way for us to have a springboard for discussion because sometimes it's not always easy to know what to say in a particular moment but when a character in a program or a character in a book is experiencing something then sometimes we can ask questions based on what the, the child is seeing. Why do you think that's happening? What do you think is happening? And why do you think you're, that, that child is, is angry or sad or feels alone right now? And, and just bringing those things up to kids, getting them thinking. I think that, that kids can be very empathetic and have wonderful mm-hmm. insights um, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously often just still surprised by some of the things that my son comes out with that he thinks about related to these topics. And uh, it, it's actually one of the joys that I have in, in talking to him about some of these tough topics, especially around racism, because he's just got a profound sense of justice. So he just thinks about these things. So I think yeah. it's, a, it's a good to, to bring these things in. I like the idea of bringing in the books and, and the programs. And, and I do want to mention, I know I'm sure this has come up a million times on your, pro, on your podcast, but I want to emphasize that I'm not talking about like big, deep, you know, crazy conversations. Right. You know, the key to communication with kids, especially as they're, when they're younger, is quick, frequent touch points. That's what it's all about. And, you know, as you were talking about your kid and the sort of justice lens that they have, I was thinking that, you know, one of the things I've been very committed to as somebody who received no sex ed as a child (laughs) is, um, you know, just being really open and honest with my kids about, you know, sex ed and conversations Mm -hmm. about gender. Mm -hmm. And the other day, my nine-year-old asked me, um, uh, you know, what is the, what are the last acronyms in mean in LGBTQIA? And mm-hmm. I was like, I was just sort of astounded by her fluency mm-hmm. with the language, but it's, it's mm-hmm. only because we just talk about it. Like it's not a big deal exactly. and as it comes up. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, one thing, like, I'm just, I just want to tell parents, like, don't panic because you feel like you have to have a big conversation right. because you do not, right. you just need to have little touch points you know, regularly. Yes. I call them micro conversations. Just, yes. Yes. I love that. Yes. Just micro conversations. And it may only be a couple lines long and that's okay. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it does go in more, more in depth, but I think they're, they're just wonderful. And then at the end of many years, they have a whole host of information and, and I think you're right, but they, they wind up asking things as easily as what's for dinner. You know, or, or even just saying things about uh, my, my daughter's like, oh, this person told me she's uh, bisexual. And, you know, just uh, the conversation becomes so much easier when you give them the language and also the permission to talk about all kinds of things that there is nothing taboo and we could just let it on out. Yes. Good. So mm-hmm. we've we've been having conversations, as I mentioned, about racism and discrimination and violence against diverse populations for years in my family and and using things that happen in the news or or when we've seen protests 
our, our jumping off points. Recent events over the last year have brought upon an urgency for more than just understanding and empathy, but also action. Mm. So I'm wondering about two kinds of action. One, what do we want to prepare our children to do if they see racism in action at school or on the playground or in their neighborhoods? What should they say or do? And then what can we encourage our children and families to do on a wider scale to help others who are dealing with racism and violence? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's one that applies for both children and adults. Yes, <laughs> and agreed. I think, you know, I think that um, a really basic thing that is not is sort of the less scary kind of preliminary action is to just tell your kids how important it is to be a good listener. Mm. And, you know, for adults to be good listeners, too, you know, it's listening to a friend, you know, understanding what is happening and, you know, what's and not sort of brushing over whatever their experience is if they say, hey, something hard happened, you know, listen. And, you know, the second thing that's a little might feel a little scarier is, you know, standing up for that person. I mean, this is just like, I think of it in the same way as I mean, sometimes it is bullying, you know, it could be direct. So, you know, bullying could mean saying, saying, hey, that's not okay, Mm -hmm. like for this kid. Um, And you can also a kid can also be an ally by running to go get, you know, an ad- adult who mm-hmm. can help deal with the situation because, you know, confronting bullies is scary. Oh, and I so get scary. that, you know, so I just want to say, I'm not telling parents, you, you, you know, your kid you needs to throw themselves in the middle of the fight. I mean, part of it can be going to get an adult to help. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think on a broader level, you know, kids are just they're so capable of absorbing and, um, you know, being a part of things. And I think one of the interesting things this year, I mean, I have grade school, a grade schooler and like a teenager and the, the, their involvement in the conversation, um, and you know, whether, and participation, whether that was going to sort of peaceful protests or whatever, they have a lot of possibility. Mm. Um, so I think that, you know, if a protest is not your jam and it feels too peopley, I get that. And, um, you know, so there are other things that you can do, you know, you could have a little kid and they could raise money for, to donate to, um, you know, Southern poverty law center or something. Mm -hmm. You can talk about different organizations that work, you know, for the justice of others. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're really simple conversations you can have. So Mm -hmm. we've done a lot of that just because, you know, one of my, businesses is, you know, a t-shirt company that raises money for different organizations. So we've had a lot of direct um, communication on that particular topic, mm, mm. but it's a great one. It's a great one that you can have even even if you're not, you know, running some kind of business. And I've seen lots of kids start really cool fundraisers to try to donate to make a difference. And mm-hmm. it's so empowering for them. It's mm-hmm. so great. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I sometimes I, I, I tell my kids that even you know, standing next to a, a mm-hmm. somebody who is, is being picked on can be powerful, that you don't feel quite so alone um, and and looking to be that person, even if you're not wanting to say something. Because I, I acknowledge exactly what you're saying, that it, it can be hard to, to stand up for somebody and say that's not right um, when you're feeling like, well, maybe I'm going to be putting put in the position of being attacked. But I'm wondering back at like that moment when you were in circle time and your teacher 
made you feel awful about your middle name and was laughing like that. Mm. I mean, if you could just go back to that moment, what would you hope somebody did? I I mean, it would have been great if somebody said, why are you laughing? Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been great if somebody just came over and, as you said, sat next to me or mm-hmm. held my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I just mm-hmm. felt so alone in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get it. Like, I mean, maybe my name just did legitimately sound funny to other people because uh, other kids because it was different. Um, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because being an ally and being a good friend and being a loving person can take many forms. And, you know, I will say that, you know, in the wake of all of the things that happened, you know, one of the most valuable things that happened was friends just sending me a message saying, I'm thinking of you, Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. And you also don't need to respond, you know, just Mm -hmm. so there was, they were holding space, but giving me space. And that was like, so crucial. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. Yeah, I can just imagine you feeling like this spotlight was being put upon you in that moment and feeling so alone, but sort of put on display. Mm-hmm. It's a it's that's a very tough position to be in, and you know, it, it, bringing you back to that spot and, and talking about such a story, I think is something that a lot of kids can relate to in different ways. Feeling like they've been put on the spot and feeling alone in a moment, and saying, "Well, what would you, what would you hope somebody did for you so mm-hmm. you didn't feel so alone?" This is how my friend Christine felt in this moment, what could you have done? And and allowing them to respond to that because it's, uh, it is a tough position to be in. I had read recently and had posted about the importance of simply being able to pronounce Asian names and, mm-hmm. and making sure that hey, like, this is not like one of those things where you just go, well, I don't know how to pronounce it, forget it, and just call somebody whatever they are. Um, and I've had people say to me, oh, it's okay, it's, it's, it doesn't matter, I could just, you could just call me whatever. And I'm like, I- I'm not Robine, so could I, I want to I pronounce your name correctly. So please, mm-hmm. like, let's, let's, let's talk about this. And, and so even the gesture of, of pronouncing somebody's name and taking the time to try and pronounce somebody's name correctly in that moment, it it can be powerful. Isn't that correct? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I just reshared, I think it was over the weekend. So if your listeners are not following the conscious kid Mm -hmm. on Instagram, they should. Mm -hmm. It is an incredible Mm -hmm. account that does just so much. I mean, education, fundraising, all manner of things to try to raise better, help parents raise better humans. But they shared a post, um, uh, from a, I believe it was a Korean woman who was talking about this very thing that, um, but with a different level uh, or direction rather that, you know, many Asians over the course of the last decades have actually changed. Their yes, names, absolutely. You know, like for assimilation or because people wouldn't acknowledge it. And so, yes, I mean, I always, it's okay. funny, you know, as a fellow podcaster, I always, even if the name pronunciation seems obvious or, you oh, know, especially yes. if it doesn't, I always ask oh, because yes. a person deserves to have their name they pronounced do. and read they correctly. Do. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting that the little that it feels like work, mm-hmm. you know, to, to pronounce a name correctly, but it matters so much. And I think your um, the example that you just shared about talking to a kid about how would it feel if you mm-hmm. like that is, you know, the sauce mm-hmm. to 
you know, help kids see that perspective because everybody's been in a situation where they've been embarrassed or, or something. I mean, it's a way to relate and help kids develop that empathy we were talking about at the top of the show. There have been many times that I have assumed somebody's pronunciation and, and then still, of course, ask before we get started and have been completely wrong. Like, yeah, of course. I, completely wrong. <laughs> I, I, I just interviewed um, Janice Johnson Diaz um, and looking and she wrote a book called Parent Like It Matters. Uh, and, you know, before when we first first got on and she is divine, just a lovely person, the way her name looks, it looks like Janice Diaz. Mm-hmm. So it could have very easily gone in that direction. And I could just, you know, snow plate, snow plowed through. That's not her name. So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but she also had said she she had taken on Janice for quite some you know, yes. quite a time and mm-hmm. said, you know, that she is just now reclaiming her name. I'm like, you know what? It's a great name. Like, good for you, to re- mm-hmm. you know, to do that. Now, I, I was asked when somebody found out that I would be interviewing you because they saw the post and our interaction the other day. They got oh, in touch okay. with me yep. privately and said, uh, if you are interviewing Christine, Please, could you ask her this question? So, oh my goodness! Yes, okay. thank you. Ready? <laughs> so she she's a friend of mine. She's a white mother of two boys who were adopted and are of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. So she is taking an interest in this from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I promised her that I would ask you uh, about how white parents, and and I would also say white teachers, white coaches, you know, anybody who's in a key position for a kid who are caring for, loving, advising, helping Asian kids thrive in today's world, how they can approach the topic of racism and violence against Asians and Asian Americans with their Asian kids, uh, knowing that they're not in that same position. So how do we help them to cope? How do we keep this conversation going? How do we support these kids who may be experiencing anger intense sadness, you know, confusion, other big feelings due to recent incidents, given that in her case, as she's talking about, she hasn't experienced this same racism or discrimination or, or, or violence that they've, that they may have experienced or that they are watching being experienced by people who are there like, wait a second, that could happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate um, your friend writing in and and asking that question Mm -hmm. because it is, It is a challenging question and, you know, the response is somewhat nuanced as is always the case. But, you know, I would say that I think at a basic level, I think it's really important for us to not be afraid to have these conversations because obviously and clearly bad things can happen. And so I'm not saying to have the conversations to strike fear in the heart Mm -hmm. of of kids. That is not the objective. It's just so they're not caught completely aware. Um, You know, I even though my kids, you know, quite frankly, they're biracial. And if they're with their dad, they could pass as white. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have talked to them very directly about these are the things that are happening with your family of origin on Mm -hmm. my side. And, you know, I mean, you may be privy to some slur or something in the future. And, you know, this is a response or this is, you know, I give them some language about, you know, how they could, respond or to go to a trusted adult for help or, you know, any of those kinds of things. And then I think the other big thing that parents can do is to really 
you know, model that behavior that you want to see in them too. And to be inclusive and to reach out and help and to do the things, support other people the way you would want your kids supported. Mm. Um, so that they know that, um, there, there are good people out there. I think that that's one of the big things I think that's can be really scary right now for Asian families and Asian kids is really not knowing who to trust. I mean, one of the things I shared about in the, in the CNN article is how that experience as a seven-year-old crystallized this kind of stance for me where I'm just always bracing for racism. Mm. I'm always ready for, I always feel like there may be something coming at me from the back of my head or the front of my head, quite frankly. Mm. And that's like a really tough way to grow up. And I just, you know, I just wasn't ready. I had no information. I didn't know it was possible. I mean, I don't think anything can really prepare you for that, quite frankly. But um, I think the more we can just have gentle conversations to ease our kids in, you know, the more they will feel like there are ways to deal with what's happening. What is the language that you gave to your children if they did experience this? And what what are they to do or say in that circumstance? I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously it'll depend on what's actually being said to them. But I think if it was some kind of slur, you know, they I mean, I guess one option is to walk away and just get help. I mean, mm -hmm. that's always, you know, what one thing I've told them repeatedly is that these can sometimes be difficult battles to wage, especially mm -hmm. if you're already in a vulnerable position as being mm -hmm. a minority. Um, but also if you're outnumbered, you know, that, that is probably one thing, one reason my mom and I could not even fathom doing anything is we were mm -hmm. outnumbered by mm -hmm. people and they were in a car and we were on foot. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that's one thing is, you know, you can always, try to find an adult to help you. You don't have to fight this battle alone. You could, if you can't find one immediately, get yourself to a place of safety mm -hmm. and then call me mm -hmm. and I will come get you and I will help you deal with this. Mm -hmm. And I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, uh, as I think neither of my kids are, you know, particularly confrontational, but, you know, I've also said that, you know, if somebody treats you badly, just treat treat like respond in a way that you would go to bat for a friend who you really cared about mm. and say that's not okay to say those words um and you know depending on the response you may again have to go the trusted adult mm -hmm. route, route or just extract yourself from the situation and it's kind of a matter of safety that's mm -hmm. why i'm kind of not being sort of sort of hard and fast yeah about no i get but, that that makes sense yeah it's really it's really tricky business it but is. you know most of all i want kids to be safe and feel safe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if that means extracting yourself from a situation, there is nothing wrong with that. You need to do, you know, what, what will make you get you to a place of safety mm -hmm. and then, you know, call a parent and figure it out from there. If you feel like that your kids, because they've experienced this or children who are, uh, Asian and, you know, you've got, again, my, my friend is in my head and their child is, is, is angry or having really big feelings about what's going on or what has happened to them, what would be your move? Um, if the kid is having big feelings? Yes. Yeah. Um, I would sit back and listen. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that one of the challenging things as parents is we always want to have all the answers. Oh, we and, do, don't know, we? Our, our job is to try to, try to get educated, to give mm -hmm. the answers. But sometimes kids will just need to talk mm -hmm. and they will need to vent yes. and they will need you to sit and be quiet yes. and 
um, that empty space is okay. I think that empty space is very scary for us as parents, mm -hmm. but that is where if you just wait, and oftentimes I'll just think to myself, okay, just take 10 internal quiet breaths <laughs> and see what comes out. And oftentimes something, a lot of times actually, something that I would was not expecting will come out. Mm -hmm. So don't try to fill the silence, you know, let them talk and let them have those feelings. And if need, if necessary, help them get professional support if they need, you know, perhaps they need um, to connect with a counselor or a social worker or, mm -hmm. or a school psychologist or somebody, some mm -hmm. kind of level of support system, you know, who is Asian American who can, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. assuming they have the space to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's another kind of tricky thing that you mm -hmm. have to walk. You can't assume that any Asian adult around is going to be able to solve the problem. Right, right. But, but, you know, that could be a route to go if your kid is really experiencing serious distress. Mm -hmm. I would definitely recommend if you're at a loss for how to support them is to look for help. Mm, I love the idea of holding space for them and, and really being in a position to listen, uh, because that is often when children will come out with what they really need to say. Sometimes they're not ready to say it on the tip of their tongue. Ready, they, sometimes they need some beats, some time. And perhaps yeah. also the message is, if they're not ready to talk right then, just telling them you are here to listen whenever mm -hmm. they're ready, uh, then that's the time to, to just leave that door open uh, so that they know that you're there. Yeah, can I make one more recommendation too on that? Of course. Which is, um, that I also think that conversations, you know, it might feel a little safer, like in the dark when you're oh, getting yes. ready for bedtime, you know, where you're not making eye contact mm -hmm. and where they can just feel like it just feels a little less scary to have eyes on them. You know, I, I've actually had some of my best conversations with my kids when we're either cooking. So we're like side by side or baking right. or in the car. In the car. So, yes. Yeah. We're side by side, but in the dark, in the quiet of the end of the day, just before bed, like that can be a kind of magical mm. space and it can feel safe. They're at home, mm -hmm. they're cozy, you know, that can be a really good time. Mm. Um, you know, take the, follow their lead, but just give them that space. You know, is there anything that happened today that you want to talk about? You know, just mm -hmm. that kind of thing and just invite mm. the conversation. You know what I'm wondering is, and this is uncomfortable, but hey, that's what we're doing right now. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm Good uncomfortable. I've lived uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable. Okay. You know, a lot of adults have biases and, and they can be very deep rooted. And yet these same adults uh, who may be listening right now want to change and grow. And that's why they're here. So what advice do you have for those adults who may have grown up in families that view diverse communities through a lens of racism or they're not as good or they've got something wrong with them they don't know what they're talking about they've got views that i don't agree with how do they deal with those monsters in their closet right there and and venture out so that they can get out of that box of limited views mm -hmm. i mean i think the very first thing is to pause and issue a moment of grace to yourself and you know realize that the views that you have are based on what you have been taught and as well as the sort of institutionalized stuff that's going around in society. Mm -hmm. So being willing and open to change is an excellent 
place to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. when you're it's when you're just totally closed off and you refuse to hear anything. That's a, that's when we're in a, in a pro- we have a problem. So, you know, I I know there's a ton of guilt out there. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to like Mm-mm. feel like your people. I'm using air mm-hmm. quotes are doing bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, so just you know, take a moment and say, hey, I am gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying. And that is really, really good. So I I really can't, I don't want to diminish the effort because Mm -hmm. the effort is real. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, I would say, you know, it's funny, I had said for kids, like, you know, expose them to Mm -hmm. different, you know, literature and Mm -hmm. books and all this stuff. Same goes for adults, honestly, Mm -hmm. because I think there is the reason we gravitate towards the stories of our own, you know, uh, belonging system is because that's, we gravitate towards what's familiar. Mm-hmm. That's like the human condition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, watch movies, read books, you know, learn about other cultures. I mean, if you want specifically, I think one of the best, um, lenses into the Asian American experience that I've read is Kathy Park Hong's minor feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so interesting because it's kind of part memoir, part history lesson, part cultural, commentary and it is just fascinating and i you know for part of me found it highly triggering and kind of difficult Mm. but then also part of me was like wow i am learning some stuff Mm. so Mm. you know we can all always be learning um and there's so many resources out there so i would just say open your mind to learning and there are tons of accounts and i you know i mentioned the conscious kid that has so much for kids but also adults mm-hmm. to learn, mm-hmm. you know, just keep your eyes open. Um, I also, uh, there's one other account I want to recommend because she is just so beautiful in the way she portrays things. But on Instagram, there's a woman, her account is Oh Happy Danny with mm-hmm. an I. And she translates, she's an artist, so she, tra- and an illustrator, and translates really challenging, tough, Mm -hmm. conversational racial topics into these gorgeous illustrations. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's a way, I'm I'm just, I guess my point is, look for different ways to expand your perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just, it's going to be a long journey. Mm -hmm. All of us are on, you know, but we have to do this work Mm -hmm. and our world is continuing to become more diverse. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the sooner you get on it, the better. Mm. Well said there. Um, and I, that's a great way to, to look at, into it because, you know, some people are readers and, and they'll do that. And some people are visual and, and that's going to work for them. Some people, will, you know, expand their horizons by meeting people. I, I like that there's a lot of different ways to approach this um, and to gain the information. Some that's more um, active and, and, and going out and you know, getting yourself infiltrated into the world and others where you can be right in the cozy home and and uh-huh. expand your horizons. Answer me this, which just finished this sentence for me. The most important step we can take towards eradicating anti-Asian American violence is? Listening. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I think what has happened over time is that the people have diminished the experiences of others Mm -hmm. or diminished the people themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think a big part of what we need to do is listen. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just as I was talking about holding space for kids to listen to them, I mean, we need to do that on the adult level Mm -hmm. in a big way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really great. And, and something, 
that it seems simple, but is sometimes hard to do. You know, we, we, mm-hmm. we like to talk so much of the time. So listening is, is so important. And it does say to somebody, I value mm-hmm. what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Give us your top tip. What do you want us to come away with after listening to this podcast about this uncomfortable and tough topic so that we can best help our kids thrive and we can best help our kids cope with this racism that's really become a problem? I think um, my big takeaway and, and piece of encouragement would be to keep talking. You know, right at the beginning, you you were talking about the phrase uh, that you used, micro conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, there's a tendency, this is the nature of the news cycle, is something terrible happens and we all talk about it and there's a big flurry and then it goes away. Right. <laughs> and these problems uh, have been around for a long yes. time. Um, and so, yeah, I think we just need to stay committed to not letting this fall out of the news cycle and, Mm. um, you know, just keeping gentle, loving, consistent attention on it. Mm. Thank you for highlighting that. That is an extremely important lens to look through, that this has been happening for a very long time. And while it seems, wow, there's this new surge, it's nothing new. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is nothing new, but it is now, hello, right in our our view, and it's important to keep it there. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Give us the resource of the week. Where do you want us to go to get more information about you and the work that you're doing? Oh, well, if it's about me, I mean, I I mentioned a bunch of wonderful resources in this episode, but I guess the easiest way to find me is christineco.com. That links everywhere. And I think my favorite place to chat with people on social media is Instagram. Mm. Excellent. I know you do such a good job there. And I also will link your Instagram as well as the CNN article to the show notes that we always know we put at the end of this podcast. And in the meantime, I just want to say thank you so much for your insights and your strategies and coming on the show so right away to make sure that we keep this in the forefront, given what's been happening and so that we can learn and grow and and make sure that we talk to our kids about that and listen to our kids about this important topic. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I appreciate you, Robin. You are a light on the internet, and I'm really grateful to have gotten to know you over this pandemic. It's one of the highlights. Thank you for me too. Honestly, honestly, it absolutely has been. So thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under drrobinsilverman. And as Christine mentioned, she's there as well. And we will be going back and forth talking about this podcast. And I will be taking some of the amazing things she said, slapping them on a meme so that you can share them as you do, because I know how much it's important to have those great quotes in front of us so that we remember and we can share them. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about what Christine has been talking about, how we can help these kids and deal with this racism that's been in front of our face for a long time, but really is coming to a head right now so that we can help our kids thrive and they can help 
those people in the community who are suffering right now. I truly appreciate it. I can't tell you how much those five-star reviews have meant to me. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you heard something today and you thought, oh, I haven't brought this up to my kids. Or I, I, they asked me something and I, I just glossed over it. I shoved it under the rug. It's okay. This is the time when you can do it again. You can do it differently. You can bring it back up. No, nothing is done. Nothing is final here. We can always do a do-over. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.